This podcast is proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, giving is a very deeply personal thing, and they believe that your fundraising should be too. This is actually something we talk about a lot on this very podcast in terms of how can we grow, improve, and optimize giving and generosity. So traditional impersonal fundraising tactics often alienate donors and create a distance between them and the impact that they want to have. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. And I have to say, I think it's a great product. I've referred multiple nonprofits and charities over there in the past and continue to do so in the future because I believe in the people and the product and I just think it's a really good modern piece of fundraising focused software. So I recommend you check it out. And if you are interested in finding out more, you can go to virtuous.org slash generosity. That is virtuous, V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. Good day and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson. In today's episode, we are chatting with Mr. Paul Nazareth, who's not only one of the best dressed humans in the nonprofit space, but also one of the best humans in the nonprofit space. Not only is he a nice guy, he knows a ton about charitable gift planning, which is what we talk about today. We go through some myths around plan giving, why it's so important for fundraising, some innovations in the digital application for things like plan giving. We also have some rapid fire questions. He talks a little bit about jazz and how he thinks about jazz and meetings, which is kind of cool. So it's a wide-ranging conversation, really focused on how do we grow generosity, specifically when people are giving from assets. So really interesting. He's a lovely person. I think you'll enjoy it. Actually, I know you'll enjoy it. So thank you for listening. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Hey, Paul, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. All right. So I'd say you're probably the best dressed person in the nonprofit space. Uh, so way to go. But have you always been into, you know, looking good and looking dapper? Or is this something that's like evolved over time? Or tell me more about how you became the best dressed person in the nonprofit space. It's so funny that you wanted to start here. And I was so excited you wanted to start here because actually it's completely related to fundraising. Okay, well, let's go. Yes. So I, I'm, you know, a, a unique and weird person that's been specialized for 21 years. I've been in plan giving the whole time. Hmm. And when I started out, I was 19, which is younger than a usual person starts out in plan giving. Yes. And I fell into um, tax litigation, arguing, being in court, and fighting lawyers and accountants for my charity. Hmm. And so that meant that I actually had to dress the part right. to show up to fight. And so early on, I got into the suits and I got into that, frankly, as armor. Hmm. And as time has gone on over the past 21 years, I've realized that what was social armor needed to be intellectual armor. I needed to know my stuff and then I could have more fun with it. And then as time went on, I realized, wow, I actually have the permission to have fun with this. And so now it's a completely opposite place where I'm like, you know what? There's a great joke in, in, uh, from our colleagues in the States and the nonprofit networks to say, you can always tell a dude who works in nonprofit because he's the one with orthopedic shoes. 
And I said, you know what? We've got to figure out not just the world of generosity, but let's let's do it with some style. <laughs> well, I like I like that as, as a as a guy who likes to wear hoodies pretty much constantly. Uh, I like the 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 stereotype breaking nature that you have. Although maybe mine's not quite as positive. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that that was that was the story behind. It. I just knew that you looked sharp all the time. Well, let's let's get into planned giving because that I didn't even know you were specialized for twenty one years. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so plan giving, let's first, can you just define it in case people are listening and just like, what is plan giving? Because yes. they're going to need a little context before we dive into some of these issues. Absolutely. So let's talk about the status quo and then let's talk about what's, what's really real. The status quo is plan giving is 60, 70 year fundraising world jargon. <laughs> you know, when I started out again, I, I was very connected to the world of faith and uh, Christian organizations. I've worked for churches and mission organizations and actually the Pope for a few years. And, you know, they've been, we've been using this word since the sixties. Mm-hmm. And so plan giving is this element that used to be thought of as just bequests and legacy gifts. What it really is in both of our colleagues, I'm in Canada, we're in touch with our colleagues in the States. Often these days we'll say gift planning, uh, but really it's, it is the element of generosity that touches assets. Mm. As my colleague, uh, Catherine uh, Tyree from uh, the States said, gift planning is what we use when our donor has a vision that is bigger than their cash on hand. Mm, I like that. So when I train charities, I say, great, your, your donor's passion and purpose is the paint. Your charity's mission is the canvas. Together, we create a beautiful image. And at the end of the discussion, they turn to you and say, that's gorgeous. How much does that cost? Hmm. And you go, cool, here's what it costs to do that. And again, it's your painting, it's your purpose. And the answer is almost always five, six or seven figures. Mm -hmm. And they go, cool, I'm not a drug dealer. So I don't have a million (laughs) dollars on my person. How do I pay for that? And you go, awesome. How would you pay for a house, a car, a boat? You wouldn't pay in cash. Most regular people, you use assets. So let's plan it. Plan giving is anything you can't put in my hand right now. Mm, that's awesome. So that that's such such a useful definition because it opens up, especially as we look at today, all different types of, you know, assets and forms of giving that maybe weren't considered, you know, plan giving or gift planning. So that's that's great. Thank you for defining that and widening the scope uh, of the conversation. So uh, why is charitable gift planning so crucial for organizations and fundraising programs? I mean, you're starting to get to the answer, but can you just paint that picture of why is this so critical? You know, bottom line, McDonald's doesn't just sell Big Macs. Coca-Cola doesn't even just sell Coke right? Like it's diversification of revenue. Mm. And so many organizations, as we've learned in the pandemic, leverage themselves on special events, on annual fund programs, on one or two revenue streams. And they're, they're actually losing, you know, they're, they're really their business client at the most lucrative part in our journey together. Mm. So again, McDonald's selling French fries and everything. What is your Big Mac? Well, that's planned giving in the sense that it's the biggest gift that someone can give you. Right. So diversification of revenue is what it's all about. An organization should do it, have a responsibility to do it, but also owe their donors because it's the number one way a donor can express ultimate love for you. Mm. So what are some of the, the myths around it? Because, you know, again, we've already talked a little bit about some of them, but, you know, are these things that oh, you got to wait till someone dies to get it? You know, like yeah. you hear that all the time. But can you mm-hmm. can you break down some of the myths around plan giving and maybe even focus on 2021 and how this can be useful today and applied today? 
and and there's so many myths. This is the <laughs> challenge. You know, plan giving has been has been sold so many for so many years as about tax and the law, and in so many ways, it's like sorcery. <laughs> you know, I I always joke with my folks that our fundraising colleagues and annual and major gifts look at plan giving colleagues like the sorcerer. Mm. And if you remember <laughs> the sorcerer's apprentice, everybody else is Mickey Mouse, and we make them feel small. Mm. And actually, that's crappy. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the biggest myths is it's about the mind when in fact it's not head, it's about heart. Mm. This is the monetization of love. Mm. And when you monetize love, well, then there's no limit. The sky's the limit mm. because in annual giving and even major giving, the donor is limited by how much money they have. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about, frankly, death and estate, someone can give you every dime they've got. And actually, in North America right now, as we deal with a massively aging population and the largest amount of people with the least amount of kids in the history of this continent, Hmm. more people can actually give you every dime they've got if they want to. Hmm. And you're stopping at what they've got in life. So, you know, the big myth is about it's about tax and legal and all of that. It's really a fully integrated part of the philanthropic. And what we're starting to talk more about is the conversation around generosity. Mm. Once you shift from that myth of the mind to the reality of the heart, again, there's no limit. It's just all about what they can plan to give you. Mm. What are some of the differences between, um, you know, plan giving for large organizations versus small organizations? Because I know that comes up a lot. Absolutely. You know, my, so my formal role is the vice president of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. And in 27 years of our organization, most of our, our members and a lot of our people used to be just the big charities, hospitals and universities who could pay to build plan giving programs and staff. And again, that's when it was just about the mind and who could afford to talk about mm. taxes and have the skill set. But now that people are realizing, again, it's more about love and mission and money as meaning. Well, now small organizations are getting more access and we're excited to be training more as well. We're leveling the playing field to say it's not just about who's skillful enough to bring in that money, but frankly, who is smart enough to talk about how much you care about an organization. And again, bottom line, if someone can give you money and they use other assets, I can only afford to give you a thousand bucks cash. But I could give you stocks and I can afford to give you 10,000, not just because of the tax benefits, but because of the way my wealth works. Older people have more of their wealth in assets, not cash. Most charities, all we do in fundraising is cash. And are our big and small charities equally set up like infrastructure wise to take on those assets, liquidate those assets? Or is there a difference between big and small in terms of, yeah, you can talk about it, but what about the execution side? Massive disparity, Mm. massive disparity. Again, you and I have both connected to the digital world. It's one of the reasons why a few years back I went to Canada's now largest online and digital charity, Canada Helps. As we scaled in five years from 50 to 500 million, which is what this year is going to be. And that was just in the digital transfer side. Well, in the technology world, of course, massive disparity. And in the world of thinking about assets, the skill set, even the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset of a lot of small organizations, Mm -hmm. massive disparity. Mm -hmm. So that's partly what my organization and my work is about bridging that gap. But that's one of the biggest challenges. It's only the biggest organizations. And of course, we know that banks Big financial firms have got into the space with donor advised funds, mm-hmm. disrupted the whole ecosystem. That's why, you know, this is a lot like a poker game. Well, who's got the most capacity? No surprise, big stack. 
Hmm. You know, interesting. Yeah. Um, what are some of the trends that you've seen? I mean, you mentioned donor advice funds. That's a relatively new thing that, you know, uh, has disrupted, but like, what are, what are some of the trends you've seen around charitable gift planning? You know, it's exciting. Now, granted, donor advice funds are an overnight success uh, that's taken 15 years to happen mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. They've been around for like 20 years in the States, about 15 in Canada. Uh, and again, full disclosure, I worked for one. I worked for a bank in, in donor advised funds. And, you know, the, the, the trends are a number of ways. Again, one, technology, asset transfer. And again, I firmly believe that cryptocurrency is going to become part of this within the next few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've seen the trend in the understanding and the skill set. In Canada, we've seen a massive support over the past 20 years in legislation, right? Canada actually has the single greatest charitable tax credit system in the world, mm-hmm. in a state and in current taxes. But we've also learned when we focus on those, it actually doesn't work. Donors don't care. We've got the data to show there's a great report saying, why do donors give? Mm -hmm. And taxes are dead last, Mm -hmm. even though it brings the most benefit. Mm -hmm. It's a reminder to us. If you bank on the head, you're going to lose. You touch the heart, you're going to win. Yeah. And that's that's not a a new trend. (laughs) You know, that's something that fundamentally we've known about donors forever is that it's always been, you know, you have to uh, meet meet the heart first and then satisfy the mind as well. Yeah. you know, I would just point that the trend is how do they get you the money? Right, right. The old so, way was just cash, and now we've got like 30 ways to get you the money. This episode and podcast are proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, you've heard Brady talk about it with our guests before, but I wanted to remind you that giving to a cause is deeply personal, and your fundraising should be too. Unfortunately, Today's nonprofits are handcuffed to outdated fundraising models that reserve personal connections for a select few major donors. Instead of creating connection, traditional impersonal tactics alienate your donors and create distance between the donor and their impact. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships at scale. Responsive fundraising with Virtuous combines modern technology, data intelligence, and donor-centric giving experiences to foster personalized conversations with every donor. Virtuous is more than just a CRM. They unify fundraising, marketing, and donor development activities, ridding teams of redundant back office tasks, and revealing the insights needed to deliver dynamic campaigns. And all of this happens in one place. You can turn data into deeper donor relationships and grow your fundraising with Virtuous. And to learn more about responsive fundraising with them, you can visit virtuous.org generosity. That's V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. Well, let's talk about some of the ways, especially around digital, which is what, you know, obviously we're more interested in. You, you know, you mentioned crypto. I know there's a lot more companies that have um, online transaction methods to process stock, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, more donor advised funds have their own widgets. You know, what are yeah. some of these things? Like, are these innovations? Are these just transaction methods? Like, how, how are you seeing digital being used to either secure gifts of assets or just the transfer of assets to nonprofits? You know, you know, I've been talking, I've been talking to the sector about this forever on the fact is, again, the how is important. But the why is the key. Mm. The only thing is, is that perfect example in the pandemic online became the only how. Mm. 
Right. So everybody said, oh, and people used to say, oh, Paul, most of our donors do only checks. And we're like, yeah, but they're going to be gone soon. Uh, <laughs> also, the baby boomers are the generation that created the Internet. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody thinks that seniors are not online when they're massively into the space. They may not just be transacting online, mm-hmm. although in North America, uh, you know, seniors and specifically boomers, not people above 80, have been really active in direct stock investing, direct stock transfer. Uh, and everybody under 40 is transacting only in this digital way, again, who's carrying cash anymore, mm-hmm. right? Five years ago, I was telling people, and again, I use drug dealers as a great example because they're <laughs> incredible innovators and highly motivated. They were using Stripe and Square and all these things. And charities were the ones saying, sorry, we only deal in cash. <laughs> we look like medieval merchants. We look like pirates. Do you have gold <laughs> bullion? Right? Like That's the crazy part of all of this. A lot of this is about the responsibility and honoring your donors and making it easy for them to give you what they want. Not what we're asking for. There are people who love us so much. I once had to say to a charity, I would die for you. Hmm. And, I, and I said, and I'm going to, and here's your bequest documentation. And the person <laughs> was like, I just came here to ask you for 200 bucks. This is really weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's the key thing is, is honoring that intention. Yeah. Well, and especially around the the digital side, you know, what, there's a few misnomers there, myths. You know, one is that you're right, like old people, especially people above uh, boomers and even seniors. What we see in our data, at least, like the average age of an online donor is about 67, and the most active giving, not total revenue, but like transactions demographics, 55 plus, almost across the board, across all of our clients. So, like, that is a already heavily active online giving generation, but that doesn't even include the people who do like a gift of stock transfer through online banking that goes to their DAF, that then the DAF wires it into your bank account, and never a piece of paper has ever been used yet. That's not coded as an online donation. That's exactly. not coded as digital. It goes in as something else, you know, gift of stock, gift of stock. But that's a hundred percent digital transaction, you know. So yep. even just the way that we think about transactions and codify transactions in our CRMs and our reports, I think also has to evolve because it undervalues digital big time. Absolutely. And you again, know? you know, when I was in a digital space with Canada Helps, I would be talking to, to fundraisers and say, listen, I just, I'm looking in your data here. And uh, there's this amazing donor who, just so you know, I think has got a lot of potential. Uh, they're giving you 2,500 bucks a month. Like that's more than a mortgage payment for a lot of people. And you're not recognizing them as a major donor. And I've looked online and your major donor threshold is $10,000. <laughs> right. So they are a major donor, but and, they're not the person the right wire. But that's the purview of annual fund and monthly giving. And I'm like, you know, our silos are choking us to death. Also, you're a one size shop. So there's 10 people inside of one of you. I know that you've separated your mind and have, you know, mild mental health problems now. Right. But you've got to think of it. And that's why I'm so a fan of, you know, some of the current jargon that talks about the donor journey. Mm-hmm. It's all one thing. Donors don't care about our titles and our silos. I had this wonderful older person who, when I was at a university, referred to me as senior development officer for like three <laughs> years. Uh, and I never corrected her because it was awesome. And yeah, it made my coworkers it. really uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> but it was ridiculous. Our titles are ridiculous. Our silos are ridiculous. It's about generosity, our relationship, and what these folks want to give us, not what we're asking for. That's the mindset shift. Mm. Now, one of the the things that I've I've heard and I believe to be true, but I'm interested in your opinion, is 
you know, the, the leading indicator of someone's willingness or likelihood to give you a, a planned gift isn't actually about how much assets they have or wealth. It's how connected they are to your organization or some, you know, um, how long they've been giving, not just how much do they have. Is that true? You see that all the time? You bet. And, yeah. and again, so, you know, if there's anything I'm missing the most, it's getting together with my uh, friends for poker. So that's why there's so many poker analogies. <laughs> but you know, part of it is, is what are you willing to bet? And when it comes to love, what are you willing to give? Mm. Well, someone who cares about your mission and your organization more is willing to do and give more, frankly, whether you even have the capacity or not. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, again, I've been not just a fundraiser, but one of the most unique perspectives I ever got was when I was in a bank working with donor advised, but I could see a client's entire portfolio. Mm. And there's a lot of people out there, especially older donors who are, in fact, savers, Mm post-war boomer savers who saved a ton of money, have the capacity to give. You know, I had this one guy say to my face once, I love you, man. I've seen you for three or four years. I keep writing you a check for a hundred grand because you keep asking for a hundred grand, but I want you to know I could give a quarter mil, no problem. <laughs> and it just, it just mind blowing. Yeah. Right. Again, who's more likely, and this is the strategy side and the pure data side, who's more likely to give you a, a planned gift, a gift of assets, not just the gift in your will, someone who's given you $10 a month for 10 years, or someone who has been mildly socially blackmailed by their brother-in-law over golf mm-hmm. to give you 10 grand at once. Yeah. They never cared about your mission. Yeah. And actually a lot of these people aren't really social activists anyway. This is a new world we're living in when we talked about justice, activism, all of that. Who's willing to go all the way and give it all to you? Person who cares the most. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's so funny that our, our data systems have to basically relearn this now. Like I've seen in like the wealth screening space, more and more stuff saying, ah, you know, when we're trying to predict who can give you wealth screening is actually not predictive. It's interesting. But what is predictive is engagement. And every fundraiser ever is like, yes, like we know that it's engagement, but at least tools now are trying to, you know, tell us those types of things. I remember in, uh, in grad school, wrote the, uh, read this book, The Millionaire Next Door. And oh. this, its whole principle is just to break this idea of you don't chase the person with the Lamborghini in their garage or whatever. Like that's not, you know, wealth. And just because they have wealth doesn't mean they're going to give it to you. Well, I was it's, told that my first day on the job as a fundraiser, my boss yeah. said, the golf tournament's coming up, Mr. Nazareth. Go out to the parking lot and look at the Mercs and the Beamers and Benzes and find out who drives them. And luckily, I'd also, I had come from a bit of a kind of failed start in my career in the world of sales Mm. and understood money and property. And so Mm. just so you know, you know, they lease those cars, eh? (laughs) Right. They don't own those. So the richest person at the golf tournament is actually Doug and Judy, the 80-year-olds who staffed the front desk for 40 years, who own their own home have two vacation properties and could buy and sell any one of those people who look rich. <laughs> right. And again, also who loves us the most Yeah. to Doug and Judy were actually their grandkids because mm. we're in their will. We're a residual beneficiary. They're not giving cash to us. They're giving assets to us and they're giving five times more and they have ca- the capacity to give us 10 times more. Mm-hmm. So there a lot of this is counterproductive. I often say when I'm trading boards, common sense is not common. Mm-hmm. We need strategy. And again, this is what you've been preaching for a long time. Look at the data, dig into your, your database, look into the segmentation, understand your donor base. Don't just think we can talk our way out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are some of those kind of key steps or things to consider for organizations that maybe they're listening to this and they're like, wow, I've been thinking about planned gift uh, giving wrongly forever. So what, what can they do? What are some ways to get started or some actionable tips? 
you know, it, it keep. I'm really all about keeping it simple because, again, our organization's been doing this for 27 years. We tried to teach the head. We, we, you know, we have this incredible course that's like 80 hours in the mountains in, in uh, Banff, Alberta. <laughs> and we used to tell people, bring a scientific calculator and we'll teach you the algorithms of the universe. <laughs> Dr. Strange, it didn't work. You know, bottom line, when you try to do too much, everybody gets confused. Mm. And in fact, donors look at all these plan giving brochures and go, man, this is so confusing. I choose death. <laughs> and they actually 90% of all plan gifts in most of North America are bequests because we've con the confused the donors so much. They go, ah, forget it. I'll just wait till I'm dead. <laughs> and, and the answer is keep it simple. Mm. Focus on relationship. Focus on love from a from an organizational and strategic standpoint really organic lead generation, right? So our colleagues, uh, Dr. Russell James out of Texas Tech University mm -hmm. talks about autobiographical over the push fundraising strategy. Mm -hmm. Where do we live in your life story? That's the magic question. Mm -hmm. Not do you want to include us in your will? How do you want to be remembered? Mm -hmm. And it, are we part of your values in your life story? And if so, what is the percentage that you care? Mm -hmm. You know, again, people are saying, could you put us in the will for 10 grand? Cool. That person's worth a million bucks. Right. Every person who owns their own home, when you liquidate it all, because death is just a big garage sale, <laughs> right? And then you're going to owe income tax on that. When you say, how much do you care? You care about your kids and family most. So yeah, they're going to get 80, 90%. But you care about the future. You, you care about, you know, in, in, in the musical Hamilton, there's a great line that says, what is legacy? It's planting the seed of a garden that you'll never see. Hmm. And so a lot of people say, I want this university to be there for people in the future, right. for faith-based people. I want this church pew to be here a hundred years from now, mm -hmm. whatever it is you want to see continue. How much do you want to see it continue? Mm -hmm. So have those conversations, open up the ability for your donors to self-identify. I'm talking about check boxes on mailings, check boxes online, let them self-identify. You don't got to push. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. So what do you think is uh, next in the world of planned giving? Everybody wants sexy answers. You know, again, even in the donor advice, everybody's like, oh, we could do all this kind of stuff. And when I, and this is what I do, I'm a, I'm a real nerd. I don't watch sports or have any, many hobbies. And I, and I just watch the people that are doing it the best and bringing in the most. Mm. And those are the ones that keep it simple. Mm. They've created, and now again, the big thing is, it's not just direct mail. You've got to uh, fold digital into it. They do the organic lead generation. They follow up. They create that moves management, that classic you know, association of fundraising professionals model to engage and have that dialogue. Again, donor journey. How are we talking to them at every age and stage of life and offering them affordable and easy ways to frankly give us money? Mm -hmm. And it's it's online at a younger age. It becomes monthly. Then we talk about assets. Then we talk about the will. That's the journey. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing it right, it'll loop back through multiple generations of family too. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I know one of the things that I'm, I'm super interested in is using all these kind of um, digital optimization techniques that we use for $100 donors, $1,000 donors maybe, but apply them to planned giving. So things like, you know, surveys and content offers to get leads and interest. Uh, you know, surveys to see, hey, are you interested and follow ups and even simple things like triggers, you know, if someone's yeah. on your planned giving page, mm. or they're spent more than five minutes, or they visited it twice in the last week, maybe you should call that person or send them an email because they're clearly interested in something like we have this information at our fingertips. Yeah. So instead of like waiting, we can be more proactive too. And we know they're interested in it, you know, so these types of things that we use just 
how can we apply them upstream? Off air, we were talking about mid-level, major, plan giving, all these ones. It just feels like there's such an opportunity to apply all this digital infrastructure, but like up market. You yeah, know, and because you've just changed the funnel. Once you do the surveys and not push direct mail, yeah. you've created a new way to self-identify. And again, self-identify is presence on the on the website. That's not rocket science anymore. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Right. So they have self-identified. You've generated the lead. You know, one of the funniest things that people just don't do is they don't follow up. Yeah, you're right. Totally right? They, true. People would always rather to say, how do I hire a telemarketing firm to bother people at dinner? Stop it. Right. Again, I'm in fundraising because I actually kind of hate fundraising. <laughs> I don't want you to bother me at dinner. I just want to eat dinner. And I have mm -hmm. a, I have an adult onset allergy and trauma around chocolate almonds. Stop trying to sell me muffins, man. <laughs> right. Like I've told you what I care about. Let's go deeper into that. And for all the charities that I'm engaged in, so many times I'm dying to go deeper into them. Mm -hmm. The charity I give to the most to in this world never thanks me. <laughs> they send me a tax receipt in a blank envelope. Crazy. Yeah. Huh. Well, that charity should should maybe contact you a little they bit. They never will. <laughs> and again, that's, that's the challenge too of how organizations are built. Yeah. The culture of what we call the culture of philanthropy or the culture of fundraising. Mm. And also, you know, Brady, where we are, a lot of us in our careers, it's time to also give ourselves permission to let go. Yeah. When people don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And maybe there's a new generation of charities, of nonprofits, of organizations, of social purpose B Corps. Mm. If they want to do it and they're going to do a better job, more power to them. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us are realizing to say, you know what? Stop trying to fight the, fight the ocean. Yeah. No, I, I think that's entirely true. We talk about that all the time here. Obviously, we believe in testing and optimization and digital. Mm -hmm. And we've just, we're not going to spend tons and tons of our time trying to convince you. Otherwise, we're going to spend more of our time with the people who, who do get it. And not yeah. that we're right and they're wrong. It's just, this is what we believe. So instead of trying to convert, you know, the non-believers, how do we find more of the believers and let's ride together? You know, that's really yeah. the, the approach. And that's when you make that switch, I think it is, it's great because then- I, just, It's why I left, right? Yeah. I was leaving the sector. I went to a bank that was yeah. supposed yeah. to be my first foray and probably work for like LinkedIn next. But, you know, when I got there and I saw, wow, you know, this is a hundred million dollar program with a billion dollar kind of, we were in a trust company and the donor advised work. The one thing I was missing though, was the heart. And that's mm. partly why I came back to the sector and Canada helps. And I did, I found a brilliant strategist who said, let's lean into this and mm. let's make digital focused. And that's been the success of that program and platform is using those best practices. And again, to help charities sometimes in spite of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Paul, thanks so much for kind of breaking down plan giving and talking about this and keeping it simple. It's been awesome. Before I let you go, I want to do some rapid fire questions. I love following you on, on all the socials. Uh, whether you are or not, you come across as a very red informed person. So that's great. Uh, but let me pick your brain a little bit. So right. who is a person and or brand you think everyone should follow? You know, someone who has affected my career for a number of years, Adam Grant. Mm -hmm. uh, he teaches at Warden. He's written some amazing books. His second last book, uh, a Give and Take, I consider to be one of the best books on networking in the past 20 years. His current book, because he is giving us the strategy to say, how do we let go of the baggage? How do you become your best everything? Self, organization, all of it. His TED Talks, his podcasts. He's, he's just an incredible teacher in the space. And I really appreciate he also is aware of the nonprofit world mm. and helps us a lot too. Awesome. Cool. Uh, what's your favorite place in Canada? I know you've traveled all over this glorious country, but where, where does you most like to go? Uh, the sky. 
<laughs> can't have an individual place. I really love to cross the country. And one of the great blessings of my role in the past few years is being with organizations that let me get out. I'm a, I'm a pirate on the high seas, you know, mm -hmm. just going out to urban, suburban, rural. I want to learn the terroir of philanthropy. What's the fertile ground that makes it different in every part of the country? Mm -hmm. So my addiction in the past number of years is travel. And people think it's because I get to speak, but actually the secret is I get to go listen. Mm -hmm. Tell me why philanthropy is so different where you are. And in so many cases, it is really mm -hmm. different. Awesome. Like that. Canadian air. Uh, this is a podcast, but what are your favorite podcasts or what's a favorite podcast? You know, I love a lot of the nonprofit sector podcasts, but I, you know, I often gravitate, you know, much like I'm a Gen X and I speak the language of movies. I try to go to things that are really mainstream that I can talk to and relate to people about. Hmm. So for many years, actually the Harvard business idea cast 20 minutes, quick hit, really big, widely listened to. And I can often refer it to it when I'm talking to donors and all that kind of stuff. That's a really good one. And Whitney Johnston, top, one of the world's top 50 thinkers, who really helps people disrupt their thinking, think organizationally and strategically, and has helped me a lot in my career to, to disassemble and rebuild mm. to make the thing work better. Cool. Awesome. Uh, favorite music to work to? Probably jazz, you know, in the sense that I get, often say we're gift planning, plan giving, what we're trying to do is it's about, it's about matching. It's about meeting. It's about mm -hmm. jamming when it's the right time. One of my greatest mentors, who is a billion dollar fundraiser in a donor advised world, uh, he used to come into meetings with nothing but an empty pad of paper and it would drive everybody crazy <laughs> and he would just follow the flow with the donor and together we would draw these beautiful hundred million dollar pictures hmm. and it would work. Hmm. And it showed me that when you come in with a prescribed thing, mm. all you're going to get is that thing. You want to do rock, you want to do pop. You're only ever going to do the same thing over and over, hmm. but jazz is that adaptive power. And so, yeah, that's what I use a lot. Ooh, in this space. I like that. Uh, all right. Best nonprofit book you've read. Tough one in the sense that I'm, you know, I'm always on to the next thing you know, there's it's never really static because also our strategy, our data is changing right now. A really interesting one in, uh, in Canada particularly is one of the most intellectually invested foundations called the Mutart Foundation did this crazy thing. And they got like 50, 60 of the country's really North America's top thinkers in everything nonprofit, digital governance, uh, you know, money transfer, all of it. And they created this huge book, this like 300 page uh, uh, book, and it's free. Hmm. Uh, and it's the Mutart Foundation. And it's this incredible think piece that is thinking about today, tomorrow, the past. Again, I'm in the nonprofit world, I think we can do better when we're aware of what's happened, when we know where we're at, and we know what's possible for the future. Awesome. Yeah, I saw you uh, share that the other day. I'm, I'll be sure to, to go get that. And uh, last one, best business book uh, that you've read lately. Oof, that's a tough one because, you know, if really what happened is 10 years ago, I asked my mentors, say, give me a book that's, that's got you to where you are today. And they mm. sent me back a list of 100 books <laughs> and I read them all in one year. It's funny. I was thrown out of university because uh, I didn't know what I was doing there. But then I found so much power in these books. So mm. I really believe in some of the fundamentals. So things like Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, mm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There's a bunch of these I think are kind of like the foundation of, of knowledge. And then I, I am, I'm always trying to think of, you know, what's the next thing? One of my favorite ones is Adam Grant's Give and Take, because it is not about networking as, um, as, as, as just this transactional. It's about reciprocity. 
It's about the constant circulation. Even uh, Simon Sinek, everybody always talks about start with why. His last book, The Infinite Game, mm. reminds us that the game is never ending. Mm. Right again, nothing ends. Even with a donor, right? You get an annual gift. There's a mid level. There's a major. In fact, the bequest could only be the start of engaging the family. Mm. So you know, I'm all about the fundamentals, and then actually living out front and seeing what's kind of coming down the pipe to help us in the space. Awesome. Well, thanks for that, and thank you so much for your time again. Uh, where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, you know, my place of residence, I often say, is LinkedIn. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm one of the most followed people in charity on Twitter, uh, and I'm trying to experiment with uh, TikTok as time goes on. Instagram just didn't work, uh, but LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to find me. And of course, the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, if we can help people with not just their giving, but all their generosity kind of strategy, happy to do it. But find me there and happy to help always. And thank you to Brady for having me and all you do to help advance our knowledge around the digital side and its intersection with every part of generosity. Well, very welcome. Thanks for coming on and keep up your great work. Awesome. A lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Generosity Freak Show brought to you by our friends at Virtuous, the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. Be sure to subscribe to all future episodes at generosityfreakshow.com or search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, other platforms that start with S, or wherever you get your pods. Now, the Generosity Freak Show is a production of Next After, where we combine the perpetual learning of a fundraising research lab, the practical application of a digital first agency, and the rigorous instruction of a training institute to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many organizations as possible. You can learn more about the work that we do and get free evidence-based fundraising resources at nextafter.com. Now, this show would not be possible without a few folks, including our mixologist, Jacob Hill, producers Riley Landenberger and Nathan Hill, and the chief visionary behind it all, Tim Kuchuriak. So thank you so much again for listening. And no matter where you are or what you're doing right now, I hope you're having a great day.